everybody. Welcome to another episode of Two Strike Noise, your weekly baseball history podcast. I am one of your usual co-hosts, Jeff. My uh, other partner in crime, Mark A. Johnston, is joining us from the Seattle-Tacoma Greater Regional Airport today. Mark, great to see you again. Uh, how you doing, Jeff? Uh, it's, uh, it's good to be here. There's lots of jets flying in and out. Other than that, you know, uh, I think I got the noise redu- reduction on and everything, so we should be fine. How are you today, Jeff? You're at the regional airport, right? You're not at Seattle-Tacoma International Airport. You're at the, the, the one that they only fly to, like, Pocatello and... Um, and you let me look. Yeah, that's the one I'm at. Yep. Okay, good. Good. Just <laughs> make sure you know where you are. <laughs> okay, good. I appreciate that. All right. Well, we have got a fun show, a fun topic to talk about today. And that's what we're here to do with all the stuff that's going on in Ukraine, I think it's good to just remember that we need to take a little bit of time out. I know I do for my mental, my mental well-being, just to talk about something fun. Even if baseball's not started yet, it's something fun. So, Mark, we've got a great topic today. It's been 30 years since the uh, Simpsons episode "Homer at the Bat" was aired. A classic. I can't. How is the show still on? First of all, that's amazing, right? Yeah. No kidding. I think this was season three, and this is one of the best episodes. Obviously, it has to do with baseball, so that's why we really like it. But we're going to talk a whole bunch of Simpsons stuff, but we will tie it into the real baseball world, because that's what we do here. But, Mark, before we do that, let us make sure I am really sore today for no reason, so I really need to stretch out. Let's get into BP first. Mark, the New York Yankees. Oh, yes, I've heard of them. Yes, you've heard of them. That's good. Guess what they are going to be doing next? Well, whenever the season starts, there is a plan to do something that they do more than any other team. And I am hopefully not talking about winning a World Series. Uh, you mean playing that Deo song thing? Uh, no, I no, I think. thought they might be going for a record on that. or They may already have it. Yeah, I don't they, know. Pro- they probably already hold that. But they are going to retire another number. Oh my, here we go again. Yeah, it's, we are getting down to the, to the point where, you know, if Major League Baseball expands rosters anymore, the Yankees are going to have a hard time finding numbers for everybody. They're going to go to triple digits is what they're going to do. They're going to have to, but it was announced this uh, last week that the Yankees are going to retire another Jersey number. This time it is Mr. Paul O'Neill's number. Okay, you caught me off guard with that one. I know, right? When I when I saw this, I'm like, all right, beloved Yankee, yes, you know, did spend half his career in Cincinnati. Yeah. Drafted by Cincinnati, came up with Cincinnati. But uh, let's see, he's a TV personality now for the Yankees. Obviously won some World Series with the Yankees. I think he won four with the with the Yankees. Yeah, four in New York. But retire his number? <laughs> yeah, like I said, you caught me off guard with that one. I was thinking, gosh, who's it going to be? Ah, Paul O'Neill. Okay. <laughs> I mean, really, the kind of the cornerstone players of that long, you know, World Series run where they were in or winning the World Series every year. I think they've pretty much got covered. They've got, let's see, Bernie Williams, Andy Pettit, Mariano Rivera. Jorge Posada and Jeter. Yeah. And now Paul O'Neill. I mean, that I think 
I mean, they're not going to they're not going to re- retire Roger Clemens number. No, I wouldn't think so. I don't it's, think you. Yeah. He came up with the Red how, Sox. <laughs> yeah, this is true. So Paul O'Neill, 17 years in the big leagues, nine of it with the Yankees. First eight years of his career in Cincinnati. Then he comes over to New York for the final nine. He wins four more World Series, including that 1990 series that he won with the Reds. We don't talk about here. And uh, let's take a look at his numbers here. For his nine years in New York, he played in 1,254 games, 1,426 hits, 80 stolen bases. Not bad. 40 caught stealing. He slashed for the Yankees, 303, 377, 492. That is pretty good. Okay, okay. I mean, obviously, he's got really good numbers. He's a career 288 hitter, but in New York, he hit 303. Good on base percentage, had some pop, 20 home runs every year, could steal some bases every now and then. Had a, I think he had a really good arm in the outfield, too, didn't he? Uh, he did, I believe, and, and he could kick a ball yes, pretty well. Yes, definitely is a, he's got a good... Good kicking motion. I don't think he was the greatest fielder, but he had a good arm out there. Mm-hmm. Ah, I, I guess I was trying to think. Okay, if they're gonna if they're gonna retire that, who's the next number they retire? Uh, well, we know number two is. Uh, did they already retire yeah, that one? Yeah, Jeter's already retired. Uh, like I said, I think the core of that good, you know, kind of dynasty in the two thousands is is now had their jersey retired. I'm trying to think who's next. CC Sabathia, I don't think played long enough there and didn't win enough. Probably uh, not. David Cohn, you know, uh, he's a Mets announcer now. Played in a lot, as we talked last week. Played in a, you know several other teams. I I just don't think he was there enough. Yeah, that one is maybe the next jersey they retire. Aaron Judge. Yeah, ninety nine. That was what I was thinking. Yeah, I mean he's. He's got at least 10 years, uh, hopefully, left in the big leagues. I can't see them letting him walk unless his, he just really hits a wall. Right. I think he could be a lifetime Yankee. Maybe that's the number they retire. Maybe the Bat Boys. We don't know. They retire a lot. of. They're going to retire BB? Yes. <laughs> From now on. It's no be, more wearing BB, guys. He's going to have to be a, a B Bat Kid or a Bat Batman. person. No, then you got to wear a, like a cape. Uh, well, Paul O'Neill was nicknamed the Warrior, and I thought, oh, okay, because he's tough up there, you know, at the plate. Actually, this nickname was bestowed upon him by none other than the boss, George Steinbrenner. No kidding. I didn't know that. I didn't, didn't know he's called the Warrior. But somebody, please tell me that his walk-up music was "The Warrior" by Patti Smith. <laughs> or is it Smythe? My, my first thought was to ask you if he's shooting at the walls of heartache. Yeah. <laughs> Because, I mean, that would have really fit right around the time that he was playing to play that song. <laughs> it wouldn't have been that, you know, old at that point, especially right. with the Reds. But he obviously wasn't the warrior there because he had a, a different racist was was the owner of his team <laughs> there. So, yeah. Uh, this, by the way, he will be the third Seinfeld alumni to have their jersey retired. Number oh, three. Nice. We've got Bernie Williams and Derek Jeter, who were both in the same episode. All right. Scott Hatterberg. Do you remember Scott Hatterberg? Of course. He is very similar to Ron Say in that he played baseball at Washington State. (laughs) I do not believe he went to your high school, though. He did not. All right. Just wanted to ask. Well, did you know 
that iconic home run that he hit, the walk-off winner against the Royals in 2002 to extend the A's winning streak. You remember this? It's a, oh, I'll never forget it. It's uh, immortalized in the movie Moneyball. It, it absolutely is. Now, the problem being, Scott Hatterberg suffered a pretty heavy fine for this home run. Really? <laughs> and it was not from a kangaroo court of any sort. This is strange. Scott Hatterberg had signed a contract with what we talked about last week, Louisville Slugger, to use only their bats. Right. He was told he was pinch hitting in this game against the Royals, and he just went and picked up a bat. It looked like his bat. He picked up a bat. It was not a Louisville Slugger. Uh Uh-oh. So he was fined by Louisville Slugger. I don't know by how much. I'm guessing it was kind of nominal, but I'm guessing they were also pretty pissed. But he was fined by them. Leaving no stone unturned for our listeners, I watched the actual footage from the game, and seeing as how it was before these games were in HD, I could not tell what brand it was. It was just a, a black, fuzzy-looking bat in this in this highlight. Then I went and I watched the recreation of this play in Moneyball to see what bat old Star-Lord was swinging, and mm-hmm. guess what it was? It was a Louisville Slugger. So... Years later, yeah, they righted the wrong. Well, yes, but I think we have found a continuity error, or a, you know, we let's make a video, one of those videos, the one thing you missed in Moneyball. (laughs) (laughs) It's just like, yeah, he's swinging Louisville Slugger. He didn't do that. Look how terribly inaccurate this is. Now our listeners would have caught that immediately (laughs) because that's what they do. Yeah, I mean Moneyball, I could I could freeze it right on the frame, and there is a Louisville Slugger. So. Maybe I'll bet you Hatterberg got they ask him about it and Hatterberg say it's got it was a Louisville Slugger. And then maybe he made that money back from Louisville Slugger to get it. Right. All right. Mark, last week I asked you a trivia question. As always, I like to I like to frame it around something that Ricky did. And the question was about stealing third base, who Ricky did the most. But my question was, who had the most career stolen bases without ever successfully stealing third base? Right. Your thoughts. And boy, it, it's such a, it, it could be anybody. It's very obscure. Well, no, it really so couldn't like be it. anybody. <laughs> well, okay. It's, yeah, it's, it's not going to be Edgar Martinez. This I get. Yeah. But I'm just saying it's, I like how completely random it is. It's not like I can think. Man, who really didn't like to steal third? And you know what? We when we're doing wax packs heroes, I love to throw in and how many career stolen bases do you think they have? And you know, some like Andres Galarraga had 123 or something. You right. know, just something you don't expect. And that was I'm just exaggerating or making don't no kangaroo court there. Just throwing a number right. out there. I'm going to make a guess. Yeah, I'm going to go with. Andrew Jones. Well, I mean, it's a name. I <laughs> I don't know where I pulled that from, but. Yeah, well, I don't have the ability to uh, to go beyond what I found in this list. Sure. As, as to what the, what the answer is. But I do know what the answer is. And the answer is Keith Hernandez. You got to be kidding me. <laughs> so first of all, how many stolen bases career-wise do you think old Mex has? Forty? He had 98. Oh, wow. Steals of second. <laughs> he, did, he did not steal <laughs> home either. He was 0 for 6 trying to uh, trying to swipe third. The yeah. easier bag to steal. Probably a good idea to quit at 6. <laughs> yeah. 
Yeah, there you go. Kevin McReynolds was is is in second place with ninety three, and then we've got some names of, of guys that had some good speed. It's weird that they never stole third successfully. Todd Hollinsworth, uh, Byron Buxton is the active player on this list. David Justice. There's some some good names there. Yeah, you, there's no way you would have randomly been able to answer this by just pulling out a name that made sense. <laughs> That I doubt. I bet Andrew Jones is second, though. No, Kevin McReynolds is, like I said. <laughs> so uh, Andrew Jones, <laughs> I, I I think Andrew Jones did steal third once. Yeah, well, one steal a third and you're off the list. Exactly. All right. So we did get some people get that right. Now, like I said, I found that well, just randomly kind of, you know, going down one of those holes of reading an article and then reading other suggested articles. And now I ended up on a, an article about Byron Buxton and how he can't steal third. If I, I see Ricky's name, I see Keith Hernandez's name. I'm like, I got to think of a question. What's going on here? Yeah. yeah. <laughs> so Andrew Harner, Brian Krauss, and Marco Sines, some of our regulars got that right. I knew this one was going to be harder because you were going to have to do some poking around on the internet. I've got a new question for you, Mark. And this one is pretty simple if you use, if you know how to use some tools on uh, on baseball reference so what i'm gonna ask is for everybody to put on their thinking caps and spend an hour or two thinking about this if it doesn't come right off the top of your head before you go ahead and plug that into the old baseball reference because this is i think this is a good question i did not come up with the answer but here it is who is the only player to play for all four original expansion franchises and only those four original expansion franchises. Now, if you don't know what the original expansion franchises are, I'm not going to tell you. They came in the they came in the league in 61 and 62. It's, it's part of the trivia question. Yes, you so, to, you're allowed to look that up, though, right? Yeah. Well, yeah, I, I'm guessing most of our listeners probably know. But yeah, sure. If you want right. to plug that in, go ahead. Any ideas? Uh, you know what? I might have a bearing on this one, I have to say. Okay. I, I, I might. We'll, I'm not going to say it yet. Okay. Well, this is we'll find a, out next week. It all, I mean, there's two parts to this question, so hopefully it'll take <laughs> take our listeners a little bit of time. All right, let's uh, start to wrap up our BP. Go ahead. We're playing in a dome today, Mark, so all they had to do was kind of, and, and it's a college field, so like where they have the AstroTurf instead of the grass everywhere right there's no dirt on this field so the ground screw doesn't have anything to do so they're just waiting for us so right let's go ahead i love how you describe these things so they fit perfectly with the show you know that's what that's what we do it's a professional podcast professional podcasters (laughs) that's what we do all right yeah (laughs) so as we mentioned at the top of the show it has been 30 years since the homer at the bat episode of the simpsons Man, Mark, I used to watch The Simpsons every single week. I think it's probably been a decade since I last saw it, but it used to be, it was like must-see TV in college and and shortly after for me. Oh, yeah. I I remember when I first started watching it, I I think Bart was more the center of it, and I thought it was okay. But once they really got into the Homer character, that's where it just became hysterical to me. Well, that's good, because Homer is a pivotal character, in this episode in fact he is probably the only simpsons family member that is at all pivotal in this one 
episode aired February 20th, 1992. So it was just last week was the anniversary. They got nine Major League Baseball players to sign on to guest star. And they were recorded over a period of six months whenever that team that they played for would come through to either play the Dodgers or the Angels. So this is before interleague play. So they just, all right, when when anybody comes through, we're going to grab them here in L.A. Right. The Springfield Nuclear Power Plant team had a banner year just the season before, posting their best record in the history of their club at 2-28. and 28. Uh, But this year, Homer is excited because he has a secret weapon, and it's going to help the team win. So all of the natural, Homer finds a tree limb that was broken off by lightning, and he takes this, and he starts to make his own bat out of it. Right. Which includes, for Homer, hammering nails into it and at one point welding something on it. (laughs) Uh, Now, the one thing that's weird, this whole episode, they're playing softball, but everybody's using wooden bats. That's... (laughs) That's uh, that dates itself to about the 50s. (laughs) Yeah, wood bats and softballs don't really go together. So he dubs this thing the Wonder Bat, which is, you know, like the (laughs) wish.com version of Wonder Boy. But again, it's good enough to lead this team to victory after victory through the City League here. And I say City League because they play like Fort Springfield, West Springfield, Springfield Bluff, or, you know, just everything has Springfield in it. But to get from game to game, they travel via train, steam engine, (laughs) even though they're just going to other parts of the town. But of course, this is all just homages to great baseball movies, mainly the natural. But this is it's, it's awesome. So the rest of the team sees Homer's success and they want to get in on the action. So they all make bats of their own. And my favorite is Lenny who gets his own magic bat, a piano leg that he stole, (laughs) which is obviously similar to Norm Cash bringing up the chair leg in 1973 as the final out for Nolan Ryan in his second career no hitter. That's right. Which we have talked about that quite a bit. I did see a good story of just, to kind of go out of the, the Simpsons realm here. Good story that uh, one time Norm Cash was on second base and a game, it started to rain, and so they paused the game. And when play resumed, Cash trotted out to third base. And the umpire there at third, he's like, what are you doing? Uh, you're supposed to be on second. And he said, well, I stole third during the delay. <laughs> <laughs> Norm Cash, I did not realize he is kind of a goofy guy. We're going to probably need to look into him at some point. Absolutely. Well, he brought a piano leg up to the plate, so yes, I guess. <laughs> there's, something, there's something in there that ain't right, but might be funny. <laughs> yeah. What's funny about that thing is Ron Luciano was behind home plate for that game. And really? when he saw, you know, Norm Cash comes up and digs into the batter's box, and then he kind of takes a practice swing, and that's you can tell exactly when Luciano sees it because he doubles over and runs away from the home plate because he was laughing. <laughs> <laughs> that's awesome also did you know i i don't think we've ever talked about charlie hickman who last played in 1908 and his nickname was piano legs oh there you go there's no explanation for it they said he was actually a pretty quick guy there you go <clears throat> piano legs hickman yep piano legs sure he wasn't hickman. a chicago gangster <laughs> <laughs> well i 
he could have been. I don't know. He was playing in the early 1900s, so I think that would have been been about the right time, yeah? Well, Mr. Burns learns that the team that he never knew anything about had made it to the championship game against the rival town of Shelbyville. So he makes a bet for a million dollars with the owner of the Shelbyville power plant, who is the opponent for this game. But old Monty... He's got a he's got a plan up his sleeve. He's going to hire nine professional baseballers as ringers to ensure that his team comes out on top. Yes. So if you've ever watched The Simpsons, you know that Springfield's rival town is Shelbyville. But did you ever hear why the rivalry came about? I not that I recall. No, this is what we what we do here. We're going to dive into this. In 1796, Jebediah Obadiah Zachariah Jebediah Springfield (laughs) and his exploring partner Shelbyville, Manhattan, they led a group of settlers to find a new town to settle in or to create. But they had an argument as to whether the new town should allow citizens to marry their cousins or not. <laughs> and, uh, Shelbyville Manhattans thought that they should, and uh, Jebediah Springfield said no, they shouldn't, and so that split this group, and the animosity is still felt today between these two communities. <laughs> That's terrifying. <laughs> so Mr. Burns has already put together a this team of ringers in his head, and this is this is his dream lineup. Pitching, three-finger brown. Mordecai, three-finger brown. Now, Simpsons characters, remember, only have four fingers. So three-finger, he might have only been half the uh, the pitcher that he, he was in, in real life. Next, we've got catcher Gabby Street, who I'm beginning to wonder if every single baseball story in the world involves Gabby Street somehow. Because he did everything in baseball. He was a lifer and he was a character. And I swear he ends up in like a quarter of our episodes somehow. He's like just (laughs) hanging out with somebody at one point and something happens. But he's always around. Uh, At first base, we've got noted racist Cap Anson. Second base, our boy Nat Blagway. Like him. Third base, Pie Trainer. Shortstop, Honus Wagner. No mention of Butts Wagner. In this episode. Oh, bummer. In the Simpsons episode. Of course, there will be in our episode because. Right. <laughs> right. Left field, uh, Shoeless Joe Jackson. Center field, Harry Hooper, who we've talked about. We've talked about everybody on this list at least 14 times. Harry Hooper was part of the golden outfield with Duffy Lewis, not to be confused with Duff Man. Uh, Duffy Lewis and Tris Speaker. Harry Hooper is still the major league leader for assists by a right fielder. So he had a gun. He was uh, inducted into the Hall of Fame in 1971. And rounding out this team of ringers in right field is Jim Creighton. (laughs) Now, (laughs) we've talked about Jim Creighton a couple of times, which I didn't even remember until I looked him up. And I said, oh, yeah, we've talked about this guy. Well, first of all, he died in 1862. (laughs) So I think... (laughs) That is, what, like 100 and, uh, 130 years before this episode aired? This guy passed away, but Montgomery Burns wants him on the squad. <laughs> he was the guy that first started pitching the ball hard. This is when you still had to deliver the ball underhand and with a right. stiff arm and wrist. Uh, but he could also hit, 
And remember, we talked about he uh, actually took a, he was having a really good game. He was like four for four with four doubles. And in his fifth at bat, he took a big rip and uh, he suffered a ruptured abdominal hernia and died four days later. That was the guy who was a big cut. His belt, his belt buckle broke during the swing and stuff. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. So this is his dream nine. I did look it up. The career war for all these guys, 550. Of course you looked it up. I did. That's what we do. I had to make a spreadsheet. Actually, I didn't. I just had I just need a count. <laughs> After learning that all of these players were actually long dead, Mr. Burns assigned Smithers, his loving assistant, to run all over the country recruiting MLB players to play in this one-off game. So there's, you know, scenes of him talking to uh, talking to these guys that he's recruiting. When he approaches Jose Canseco, who is signing autographs at a card show, I noticed something that disturbed me. Oh, he was signing baseballs, but he was not signing in the sweet spot. He oh. was just kind of all over the place. He was missing the sweet spot completely. I see. They could have brought in an autograph consultant there. They really should have. All right, next we've got Ozzy Smith, who's touring Graceland. And uh, Don Mattingly is at home doing dishes, <laughs> which cracks me up. <laughs> Steve Sachs is playing bass in a jazz trio. And Mike, Mike Sosha is hunting. And, and eventually okay. kind of shot Smithers. <laughs> uh, eventually he gets all his guys, though. There are, however, some other players, Mark, that were approached by this show as first choices who chose to pass. Ah. Now, I told you before we started the recording here today that I had something that was going to shock you. Yes. It's going to send ripples throughout the two-strike noise universe. Been anticipating. Yes. Both Ricky Henderson and Nolan Ryan were allegedly approached to be included in the episode. Wow. Can you imagine that? Man. I had to read it like four times, and I was just, I was sad. He said, no kidding, man. What a combo. <laughs> Simpsons and those two? Oy. Uh, also approached Ryan Sandberg, who said no, and Carlton Fisk, who to nobody's surprise, and this is a direct quote, said, sounds like it might bring joy to people. So that's a hard pass for me, dog. End quote. <laughs> yeah, the Mr. Curmudgeon. It was, it was on the internet, so it, it must have been. Sure. Had to be. Yeah. So some of the players are portrayed in the episode as kind of the direct opposite of their personalities. Like Ozzy Smith was known for being a really good dresser and took pride in it. And so they've got him walking around in a Hawaiian shirt and shorts with black socks. And I mean, you know, kind of looks like you and me when we go out. <laughs> yeah. Okay. I got that. So, Mark, if Ricky and Nolan had been included in this episode, how do you think they would have been portrayed? Um, well, I think Ricky, they might have continued to portray him as quick, a base dealer, but maybe exaggerated it, you know, for his, in a cartoon, you can make someone even more speedy than they really I, are. See, to me, I had two, two ways. One, he's just himself, which... I, which fits. <laughs> that's a good point. I think, I think that probably gets it done. Or... Maybe he's a straight-laced, like, really boring kind of guy. Yeah. For Nolan. Well, I, th I figure if you really want to go opposite, Nolan's the crafty left-hander. 
That's good. No, I like that. I was thinking outside of baseball, but that is really good. <laughs> I was thinking he would be a metrosexual city slicker. <laughs> oh, so like me. <laughs> so I I think that might be it. Or they just like swap personalities, I think would would be good. Nolan would be celebrating on the mound like Kenny Powers after every strikeout. And Ricky would be playing silently, maybe grunting when he steals vases, and then in between innings, he's popping Advil in the dugout. For me, it's a couple of Advil, and those muscle aches are long gone. <laughs> I love and he's commercial. ready to go another nine innings. <laughs> I love that commercial. That's me too. permanently on my soundboard here, so that's why it's one of the rare permanent ones. So Mr. Burns introduces these uh, new employees because they have to work at the power plant. Uh, it gives them some good jobs. Roger Clemens is the security guard. Wade Boggs is the janitor. And your new lunchroom cashier is Ken Griffey Jr. <laughs> Perfect job for him. Yep, it works well. So I totaled up, uh, I totaled up this actual dream team. I totaled up their career war just as I did uh, Mr. Burns' team. Remember, Mr. Burns' team came in at 550. The career war for the players that were actually in the episode was 569.6. So only 20 points higher. Hmm. I don't know. For some reason, I was expecting the modern team to be quite a bit higher. But then as I started to look at people's career war like Steve Sachs, yeah, that is not that great. It is almost even. I was I was right. very shocked at that. So training for the big game begins and Mr. Burns is wearing a Zephyr's uniform, which I originally thought was kind of weird because the only team I knew of called the Zephyr's, they were a minor league club that originated as the Denver Bears in 1955 before rebranding to the Zephyr's in 1984. This was this was AAA. If I didn't say that, I remember this team. And then they moved to New Orleans in 1992. And now they are unfortunately known as the Baby Cakes. <laughs> wow, that is an unfortunate moniker. Yeah, I mean, I understand. It's in New Orleans and that's a thing there. But, but in doing my research, Mark, it is not a reference to that team at all. But rather something we have talked about before. It's a reference to the Twilight Zone episode, The Mighty Casey, where the Hoboken Zephyrs use a robot as a player, which we yes. did learn was actually not Vicky from Small Wonder, too. Just That's right. Everybody keeps asking about that, but different robots. <laughs> All right, so we're still training here, and uh, Homer is uh, meeting up with Daryl Strawberry for the very first time. Now, if you know about Daryl Strawberry, you know that he's a right fielder. Well, that that's uh, Homer's position, too. So this is how the uh, the meeting goes. You're Daryl Strawberry. Yes. You play right field. Yes. I play right field, too. So? Well, are you better than me? Well, I never met you, but yes. <laughs> Homer is now worried that he is not going to be on this team because there are nine players, one for every position. So uh, after all this training, Mr. Burns posts a list of who the starting nine is going to be, and uh, Homer was uh, still hoping to get in. Please, 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 I want to make the team. Clemens, did I make the team? You sure did. I did! Woohoo! Woohoo! In your face! 
Strawberry. Wait a minute. Are, are you Ken Griffey Jr.? No. Sorry. Didn't mean to get your hopes up. <laughs> are you Ken Griffey Jr.? <laughs> <laughs> Awesome. So close. So close. All right. So you can guess the whole the whole team of ringers is out there as their starters. So just prior to the game, though, tragedy starts to befall the Springfield nine. This was the lineup and batting order and, and what went down. Leading off was second baseman Steve Sachs, who ran into a little bit of problem on the way to the ballpark. What seems to be the problem, officers? It's enough out of you, smart guy. Reach for your license. Slowly. Well, well. Steve Sachs from New York City. I heard some guy got killed in New York City and they never solved the case. But you wouldn't know anything about that now, would you, Steve? <laughs> <laughs> but there's hundreds of unsolved murders in New York City. You don't know when to keep your mouth shut, do you, sexy boy? <laughs> sexy boy. That's my favorite. <laughs> Wade Boggs, batting second, playing third base. He likewise ran into a little bit of a problem when he dropped into Moe's for a, a little pregame drink and uh, gets into an argument about who England's greatest prime minister was. England's greatest prime minister was Lord Palmerston. Hit the elder. Lord Palmerston. Hit the elder. Okay, you asked for it, Boggs. Ah! Yeah, that's showing him, Bonnie. Pit the elder. Lord Palmerston! <laughs> uh, next, we've got in right field, Daryl Strawberry, who is the only ringer that actually ends up playing. He is a little bit down because as he takes the field, he's heckled by Lisa and Bart. Daryl, Daryl. A little <laughs> tear rolls down his eye. Next, we have got in left field, which is not his natural position, Jose Canseco. But uh, he does not nice. make it there because he is distracted by a house fire. Now, what's interesting here is originally Canseco was supposed to have a fling with Mrs. Edna Kerbapel, who's Bart's teacher. The first draft actually featured Canseco missing the game after waking up in bed with Mrs. Kerbapel, kind of like uh, that scene from uh, Bull Durham. But uh, Canseco's then-wife, Esther, heard about this, and there had been a lot of rumors flying around about Canseco kind of fooling around on the side. She demanded that his role be rewritten. So they did, and they made him the life-saving hero, willing to dash bravely into a burning building. Time after time. <laughs> so he was originally going to be the real life him, but then they made it change it because of his wife. Uh, the producer, one of the producers of the show, Al John, Jean, J-E-A-N, I'm not sure how you pronounce that. Uh, he said on the DVD commentary that all the athletes were really nice to work with, except for one whose name rhymes with Manseco. <laughs> <laughs> all right, next we have got uh, first baseman Don Mattingly who was benched for those sideburns despite having shaved a strip from ear to ear. <laughs> Little reference to the uh, Yankees' no facial hair policy. I thought I told you to trim those sideburns. Go home. You're off the team for good. Fine. I still like him better than Steinbrenner. So this was another case of the Simpsons predicting the future with, like, eerie accuracy. So... After taping this episode, but before it actually aired, 
On August 15, 1991, Mattingly was removed from the Yankees lineup because he wouldn't cut his hair to be more in line with their draconian hair policy. Yes. Under direction from George Steinbrenner, then manager Stump Merrill fined Mattingly $250 and told him he'd get an extra 100 for each additional day that his lettuce was too long. <laughs> After repeated warnings, Merrill told Mattingly before August 15th that he would be in the lineup only if he got his hair cut, and Mattingly said no. So they, they did this storyline before this ever happened. Which is just incredible how The Simpsons keeps coming up with very eerily similar things to the things that actually happen in the future. This was maybe their first case of that. Yeah. Ken Griffey Jr. playing center field. He is struck by a case of gigantism caused by an overdose of nerve tonic, which <laughs> I guess the energy drink of those uh, of, of the olden days. Mike Sosha gets radiation poisoning and might not live through the night because he was enjoying his actual job at the uh, at the factory too much, the power plant. Uh, Ozzy Smith gets lost in the Springfield mystery spot where logic takes a holiday and all laws of nature are meaningless. No more Ozzy. Off the face of the planet. And finally, on the mound, Roger Clemens, he thinks he's a chicken after being hypnotized during training. That actually happened. Yeah, I think that was based on real life, wasn't it? Yeah. Yeah. So we finally head to the championship game with the Shelbyville Nuclear Power Plant playing the Springfield Nuclear Power Plant. There was a mockumentary made about this episode. I think it was for the 20th anniversary. And in it, Bob Euchre is talking about this matchup. And this cracked me up because he notes that the Shelbyville team were basically the New York Yankees of Shelbyville. <laughs> I like that. All right, so the game is tied at 43 apiece in the bottom of the ninth, two outs, bases loaded, and Strawberry coming to the plate. Now, in a shrewd, very shrewd analytical move that no doubt still sticks in the craws of all those boomer baseball get off my lawn, used to walk uphill to school and snow both ways types, Mr. Burns pulls the left-handed hitting Strawberry, who, by the way, had already hit nine home runs in the game, for a <laughs> right-hander. This is, I mean, this is sabermetrics way before sabermetrics. Oh, yes. Who's that uh, right-handed pinch hitter, you ask? None other than one Mr. Homer J. Simpson, a.k.a. Home Run Homer, a.k.a. Dancing Homer, a.k.a. Hungry Hungry Homer. Homer's at the plate, full count now. He's distracted by the slew of signs that Mr. Burns is giving with a full count. Two outs, bases loaded, and tie game in the bottom of the ninth. Don't know what he was uh, what he was going to flash there. He doesn't see the first pitch, which comes in and hits him in the dome, forcing in the winning run. Now, there is a kangaroo court alert here for the Simpsons writing staff. After Homer is hit in the head here, Lisa claims that this counts as a hit. Ooh. So I don't even know if there are. Are there hit by pitches in slow pitch softball? I don't Well, I mean, there are, but they don't count for anything. Yeah, like you don't get to take first if you're hit. It's just a ball, I think, which leads me. I mean, this is it's thrown this whole episode into kind of a farcical place for me. Yeah, that's where it gets unrealistic. Yeah. Right there. <laughs> because of this comment by Lisa, uh, the Simpsons at this time, they were in the same time slot as the Cosby show. 
which obviously was a huge hit. And this episode was the very first time that it beat America's dad turned sexual predator in the Nielsen ratings because of baseball. There you go. Yeah, absolutely. Because of baseball, baby. That was Homer at the bat. I mean, that was great. I had not watched that episode for a long time, but I watched it twice for this. Total class. And I watched the mockumentary, which is like 45 minutes long and kind of drags a bit. But the mockumentary is longer than the episode. Oh, yeah. (laughs) Twice as long as the episode. Uh, You do get to hear Hank Azaria comment about how calling Steve Sachs Saxy Boy was one of his favorite things he ever did. (laughs) Okay, Saxy Boy. All right, so that's going to do it for our Homer at the Bat portion. Mark, it is now time where we're going to listen to some music that's going to tell us about what we're going to do next. It is time for everybody's favorite cardboard and wax-based 1v1 co-host v co-host exhibition. It is time for Wax Hero. Before we get into it, let's review the rules. Mark and I will both be opening a pair of baseball cards, generally from the Junk Wax era. We will look at these cards and get credit for each player's baseball reference war from the year of the pack we are opening. However, whoever has the highest war total at the end is proclaimed the winner. But there are some qualifiers that can add or subtract from your score if the player is wearing real stirrups that we can see sanitary socks beneath. That's an extra tenth of a point of war because that's good. But if they are wearing the dreaded two-in-ones, that is minus half a point. Noah's Frio. If they have anything around their eyes, meaning sunglasses, glasses, glasses, a monocle, or even goggles, extra tenth of a point of war. If they're wearing sweatbands with their jersey number or caricature on them, Extra tenth of a point of war for each. If that player won an award that season, MVP, Cy Young, Rookie of the Year, Gold Glove, or was an all-star, extra tenth of a point of war for each. And if that player now has a plaque in the hallowed grounds of Cooperstown, New York, you get a whole point of war because that there is a Hall of Famer. And finally, Mark and I will each pick a team. If we get a player from that team, we get an extra half a point of war. But if we get a player from the other person's team, we minus half a point. Mark... With that, which team are you picking? Um, actually, I'd like to go with uh, Springfield, but uh, they don't have any cards. So instead, I'm going to go with the Milwaukee Brewers. Well, I was going to say, if you're going with Springfield, I was going to say I'm going to take the Isotopes, which is the Albuquerque Isotopes, which are the AAA farm club of the Colorado Rockies. But we're opening up cards from 1988, so I couldn't pick that team. Yeah, no, go ahead. (laughs) Well, let's see. You pick the Brewers. So I think I'm going to go with the uh, Expos. The Expos. (laughs) Or did I choose them last week? I I think I might have, but we didn't get any, so I'm going to let it slide. All right. Mark, I've got two packs here of 1988 Fleers. Once again, from these massive boxes donated to us by uh, by Jeff Shamrock. Thank you very much. 88 Fleers, one of my favorites. That's the uh, red, white, and blue with the white border. I think so. Well, we've got a whole bunch of them. Uh, right I've on. Got one in my left hand, one in my right hand. Which one would you like, Mark? Going right. Right. All right. I am going to let you go first because that's the way I like it. Let's look at the scoreboard right now. Mark, you are up 15 to nine. Your magic number is five. 
Ooh. I have already made it be known that we are now tanking. <laughs> we're you gonna we get that draft pick next really season? just looking for that number one overall uh next we're, year you, you know we're gonna have to institute a draft lotto somehow okay. maybe we'll yeah. draft uh, new rules we can each that's it there you go all right so mark these packs have 15 cards in here we only play with 10 would you like to lose the first or the last five i'm gonna lose the first five. First five all right so you are going to lose a candlestick park uh card with a giant sticker Gary Ward, Yankees, Rick Aguilera with the Mets, Mike Smithson with the Twins, and Kevin Gross. Okay, that might have been a good move. Yeah, that's, you're not, you're not, I don't even know how he would score the uh, Candlestick Park. But <laughs> <laughs> yeah, what is Candlestick Park's war? Yeah, well, so here you go. You're going to start off with uh, Cleveland, with the Guardians. You've got third baseman, Brooke Jacoby. Okay, Brooke Jacoby. Brooke Jacoby a.k.a. Jake. Hadn't heard that before, but I, I get it. I like it. Let's see. 11 years in the big leagues, nine with Cleveland. And in 1988, let's see what he did here. You know, he's a pretty good third baseman. I'm not sure that you're ever looking for much average-wise from him. Uh, hit 241, nine home runs, 49 RBI, 77 OPS plus, And all of that equals a war of positive 0.5. Uh, and he does have real stirrups on, so you're starting in a different direction this week. I believe he played for your A's at some point. Uh, yes, he did. All right, next, uh, this one is going to be very helpful for you. It is one of our favorites. It is outfield for the Reds, Eric the Red. Nice. Eric Davis. All right, let's see. I, I think this could turn out very well for you. 1988, first of all, Eric Davis played for 17 years in the big leagues. Most of that with Cincinnati and then some short stints. I, I would have a hard time remembering all these teams he played for. The Dodgers, the Cardinals, the Orioles, the Tigers, and the Giants. Oh, I don't recall most of those. Yeah, I, he kind of just bounced around after, uh, after leaving uh, Cincinnati. 1988, though, he was age 26. He hit 273, 26 home runs, 93 RBI, 35 stolen bases. And a 139 OPS plus, and he won a gold glove that year. Wow. So that's going to bode very well for you. All this equates to a war of 4.4. The cool. gold gloves will get you to 4.9. Uh, he's got, oh no, he's got two and ones on. Oh, but he has a sweatband with his caricature on it. Oh, beautiful. So that'll get forget. you a positive 4.9. How about that? I mean, we've talked quite a bit about Eric Davis. Just one of those guys, probably be a Hall of Famer if he could have stayed healthier throughout yeah. his career. A five-tool guy, for sure. Oh, man, he could run and he could, he could hit 349 career stolen bases and 934 career RBI. Not, not bad. I, I think I said it before. If I didn't grow up in the Bay Area, if I would have grown up on the East Coast, Eric Davis might have been my guy. Yeah, yeah, I could see that. All right, next, I think this is going to help you out as well. It's a rookie record setter card. It is Mark McGuire. Oh, yeah, he had a pretty good year. Big Mac, 1988, good news, right off the bat, he's an all-star. That'll help you out. Let's see, yep. hit 260, which is pretty high for him. 32 home runs, 99 RBI. Let's see, all of that equates to an OPS plus of 134 and a war of 2.7. 
So that, that. yeah, that'll be a 3.2 and you're lucky. This is just a waist up shot because you know, he always wore those two and ones. Yeah, I know that. <laughs> <laughs> All right. So that'll take you up to 8.7. We've talked enough about Mark McGuire. We can move on to your next guy. Wow. This is a good pack. Third baseman for the Astros, Ken Caminiti. Oh, former MVP. One of my favorite players of all time. Switch hitting third baseman, great defense, great arm, had some power. Uh, yes, a tragic, tragic figure, Ken Caminiti. But man, I remember just really enjoying watching him play. 15 years in baseball, 10 of it with the Astros. 1988, this was his second year, and he only appeared in 30 games. He hit 181. Uh, you're getting a too young Caminiti here, a 37 OPS plus, and that will equate to a war of minus 0.6. Ouch. I mean, I'll take it, but for Ken Caminiti, that in, in his rookie year, and then he had one year in 1990, or his only minus years until you get to his final year in 2001. Overall, a 33.4 war guy. As I was saying, uh, he's not one of my favorite players. <laughs> if he'd scored higher, he still would be. All right. Again, we've gone through some of these players so much. We're going to, we can just kind of get on to the next guy. And this is a guy that I never really cared for. Last week during my Ricky post of the day until the lockout ends, I put a, a video up of this guy and Ricky beefing at Yankee Stadium. It's pitcher here for the White Sox, Jack McDowell. Uh, Black Jack McDowell. I think if he would have ever been on a team I liked, I might have I might have been a fan, but he was always on the enemy. And then yeah. when I found that video of him, uh, he got Ricky struck out Ricky and they kind of stared at each other as as Blackjack walked off the mound and then they started yelling and then the bench is empty. So nice. Yeah. Not a fan of Blackjack. Jack actually was a workhorse is what I remember about him. Let's see. Uh, early in his career. Yeah. 200 innings, 250 innings almost every year. Mm-hmm. And then as soon as he turned 30, nothing. <laughs> That's what happened to me. Yeah. <laughs> it sounds familiar. Uh, let's see. 1988, his second year in the big leagues, his first full-time year. He went 5-10, and 10, but he had a 3.97 ERA and an ERA plus of 100 exactly. That will equal a positive .9 for you. I'll take it. Yeah, nothing else on these guys. A lot of just waste-up pictures on this year. All right. Next, we've got a catcher. Boy, this looks like a Crash Davis card. Catcher for the Cubs, Jody Davis. Yeah, Jody Davis. Jody Davis, 10 years in the big leagues, eight with the Cubs, three with the Hammers. 1988, he was 31 years old. And boy, right when he turned 30, his production <laughs> went way down too. Same thing. Yes. Funny how that works. Uh, 1980, actually, he split time between the, uh, the, Cubs and the Hammers, and ended up with an 84 OPS plus altogether, and that equates to a war of positive 0.3. Hey, stand on the positive side. Yeah, he should get a whole point of war for this card. It is him. He's uh, It's a day game at Wrigley. It's against the Cardinals. There's a play at the plate. It's dusty. He's got eye black on, which is good for you. Uh, I cannot see the stirrups that are covered by his pads, but there's about to be a play at the plate. And he just looks like Crash Davis here. Nice. So the eye black will get you an additional tenth of a point. That's a positive point four. All right. Next, man, you get this Hall of Famer every week. Yeah. <laughs> and I love to hear you say his last name. <laughs> Is it Robin Yunt? 
<laughs> well, it's Robin Yount. Yes, it is. I do. I do all the time. All right. Well, 1988, 20 years in the big leagues. Uh, this was his age 32 year. I'm not going to tell you who he played for because... I mean, you know, at this point, <laughs> led the league in triples, played in all 162 games. I mean, this guy did not like go downhill right after 30, like the last nope. couple of guys. 13 home runs, 91 RBI. He slashed 306, 369, 465 for a 132 OPS plus, And that equals a war of 5.7. Wow. That is nice. Uh, you get the extra point for being a hall of famer and nothing else on this card is going to help you out. But that's, uh, that's a big one. Yeah. Robin was the, I mean, the quintessential professional, you know, you send him out, you knew what you were getting. That was a hundred percent every day. And uh, just a solid all around ball player. I'm uh, I'm wondering if, uh, if maybe one of our new rules should be, if you can see they've got a good mullet Ooh. because Ooh. Uh, Robin's got one here. <clears throat> Very nice. And the loser has to get a mullet. Between you and it <laughs> well, might be tough for you. Yeah, I, you would. You could get a mullet in literally five seconds. Yes. Uh, take me about five years to even start. So, <laughs> all right, you are at sixteen point one. Your next card is Vicente Palacios. Couldn't tell you a lot about him except for I used to get a lot of his cards. It felt like he is one of those generic pirate relievers. Of the, of the late 80s, early 90s. Yeah. I mean, there there were probably a thousand Vicente Palacios in, in Buck's uniforms around then. Uh, 1988, he went one and two with a 6.66 ERA, a 52 ERA plus. He spent eight years in the big leagues. Most of it was with the Pirates. After 95, he went and played in Mexico for three years and then came back in 2000 with the Padres. Wow. Don't see that every day. No, that's a long break. Let's see. All of this equates to a war of minus 0.7. Oh, thanks. Um, he does have the two and ones on, too, which. Oh, even more thanks. Yeah, that's just. Or, you know what? I don't think those are. I'm, I'm no, I have been mistaken. So you're OK there. Oh, actually, okay. those are real stirrups then. So that'll make it just a minus 0.6. All right. You're down to your final three cards. You've got a Hall of Famer. All right. Uh, he is wearing here one of my favorite Mariners uniforms, at least hat-wise, and uh, other than the trident. Here he is, a very young Edgar Martinez, third baseman. Yes, back in the third baseman days. All right, Edgar, just like both of your Hall of Famers have spent their entire career with one team. Nice, yes. 18 years in the big leagues. This was his second, and he only appeared in 14 games. So... <laughs> I don't think you're gonna you're gonna get much here. Wait a minute, you got a 1988 Fleer Edgar Martinez. Yes, that's his official rookie card. Well, only appeared in 14 games, so you're not gonna get a whole lot here. Actually, it's a minus point one WAR, but he is a Hall of Famer, so you're actually gonna get a positive point nine. Yay, go Edgar! All right, well, let's just see how many thousands of dollars we're gonna collect when we post this on eBay. Right on. Uh, it's looking, it looks like we are raking in $3.4 million for this Edgar Martinez rookie card. Boy, that'd be something. Oh, oh, wait, wait. I missed, no, yeah, I misread the uh, the uh, the format there. That's actually $3.49. Oh, uh, well, oh. close. 
I was just about, I literally almost hit buy on the uh, the new car here that I'm looking at. All right, next we have got uh, one of our favorites here on the show. It is a guy that got a really cool haircut uh, as a child, and that got him his nickname. And he's also one of our two players from Kingston, Jamaica. It's Chili Davis. Oh, Chili. All right, the Chill Dog. Let's see, in 1988, uh, this was actually his first year with the Angels. He led the league in sacrifice flies this year. This is the only category he ever led the league in. Was sacrifice <laughs> flies in 1988 with 10. Let's see, 19 years in the big leagues. Here he was 28. I'm focusing on age for some reason today because of like that sheer cliff some of your players have had so far yeah. this back. This is a pretty standard year for Chile. 21 home runs, 93 RBI. 268, 326, 432 is his slash line with a 114 OPS plus. How many career stolen bases do you think Chile has? Chile, um, I don't know. I think he had some speed early. 80? Try 142. Oh, wow. Way better than I gave him credit for. Yeah, that's uh, that's very good. All this equates to a war of 0.3. Nothing in this card. I believe Chili Davis was the uh, first player named after a hot dog topping since Tony Relish in uh, 1942. Well, remember, Colonel Mustard had a short uh, stint. (laughs) Oh, man, I'm losing it. (laughs) All right, let's see. I thought he might have eye black on, but he did not. So all that will be a, uh, let's see, a positive 0.3 for you. And we head to your final card. You're at 16.7, and you have got another Hall of Famer. Wow. Your third, and again, he only played for a single team. Is it Kirby Puckett? It is not. It is a shortstop in the same uh, division as Kirby Puckett, and his name is Alan Trammell. Ah, the great Alan Trammell. As as I said, 20 years, all did it with the Tigers. You're on a roll there. All-star year in 1988 for Tram. Pretty good numbers. Hit 311, 373 on base, 464 slugging. 15 home runs, 69 RBI, and a 138 OPS plus. That equals a war of 6.0. Now, if we look at this card, boy, he normally has flip-ups on, but he does not here. Uh, But he does have real stirrups, and he is a Hall of Famer, so that will be a positive 7.1. Wow. That is a good pack, my friend, (laughs) 23.8. That's insane. Yeah, I think that's a record since we changed the uh, format here of the scoring. All right, so I'm going to have... I've got some work to do here, even though I'm tanking. I am going to lose the top five because it worked out so well for you, and we'll just <laughs> see how it does not for me, no doubt. Um, all right, well, we got the sticker card with, uh, with the Brewers. I'm going to lose Daryl Miller, Bob Brower, Kevin Mitchell, uh-oh, Kurt Young... Leading off, oh, this is good. Uh, the 88 Tops podcast had a really good episode about this guy. He has one of the most famous minor league baseball cards of all time when he was playing with the Las Vegas Stars. It is pitcher for the Padres, Keith Comstock. Oh, yes. Former Mariner. <laughs> yep, former Mariner. Overall, six years in the big leagues. And in 1988... He spent seven games with the Padres. Not much going on there, except for a lot of uh, earned runs given up in eight innings. And that equals a war of minus 0.2. Wow. 
Good start, man. Not a great start. Uh, if you are unfamiliar with the card I was referencing, it's the one where he has got a baseball glued to his nether regions. I think, or again, I'm trying to remember the, the 88 Tops podcast about this. I'm not sure if he tried to glue it and it didn't work and somebody had to throw it, but uh, it looks like he's uh, taking a comebacker in the uh, mommy daddy buttons down there and is a great <laughs> one. Also, I learned from that podcast, he is a descendant of uh, the person that the Comstock laws were were named after. Oh, that's funny. Which prohibited the post postal service from uh, transporting pornographic material. Next, I've got outfielder here for the Red Sox, Todd Benzinger. Todd Benzinger. Of course, nicknamed Mercedes, which took me forever to figure out how that came about. Uh, because I, like you, just think of Zinger. Benz, obviously the first part there where that comes from 1988 he was with boston his first full year in the big leagues hit 254 13 home runs 70 rbi a 96 ops plus and that will equal a war of minus 0.1 and there's nothing else in this card that's gonna help me it's todd benzinger yeah well i'm ready for all these hall of famers like you had next i'm not gonna get it here but this is an interesting picture of backup catcher for the Mets, Barry Lyons. Wow, I remember. Was he a lefty? Barry Lyons? Nope. Okay. Batted, batted right. someone else. Uh, obviously threw right because we know uh, we know all about left-handed throwing catchers. Let's see, seven years in the big leagues for Barry. All of it is a backup. Never appeared in more than 79 games. That was in 89. In 1988, for the Mets, got into 50 games, hit 231, no home runs, 11 RBI. I don't like where this is headed. This will be a war of minus 0.2. Good kickoff there. Yeah, nothing uh, nothing on this card is going to help me. He could have thrown a little eye black on or something, but he didn't. So appreciate <laughs> that. All right, so Barry Lyons. Uh, in 1987, Tom Seaver was uh, pitching in a simulated game. If you remember, he was trying to come back at this point in, in 1987. Yes. And Barry Lyons in this simulated game went six for six. <laughs> that's when uh, that's when Tom Seaver decided to end his comeback. <laughs> this is nice. At uh, at his retirement press conference, Seaver said Lyons was the best hitter he ever faced. <laughs> <laughs> at least at that moment. <laughs> yeah. All right. I got my first good card. It is none other. Oh, good. Then uh, Mr. Sideburns himself, Don Mattingly. There you go. Mattingly, 14 years in the big leagues. Guess what? He played for one team, the New York Yankees, the entire time. 1988, good news for me, all-star year and a gold glove. Well, he might not be in the Hall of Fame. I've got that bonus one full point right there. Hit 311, 18 home runs, 88 RBI, a 128 OPS+. Plus. And that equals a war of 3.7 plus the uh, the gold glove and the all-star is 4.7. He has got real stirrups on and he's got eye black. Wow. So that'll be a, a 4.9 the right way for me. Donnie baseball coming through. Definitely. That might be my all-time high card. I'm adding the career 307 hitter. The hitman. He and Wade Boggs were in the American League East at the same time. Yeah, that's crazy to think about just the sheer hitting prowess. Yeah. If only Tony Gwen could have uh, gotten in there somehow. Right? That would have been. No kidding. I tell you what I remember about Mattingly. He hit a ton of doubles. 
he hit a few singles in his career, I think, but a man, he hit a lot of doubles. A lot of RBIs because of uh, one Mr. Ricky Henderson, too. True. I like to throw that out there. And, of course, we've talked to Mattingly, about Mattingly a lot as being the last left-handed throwing second baseman to play in the yes. field when they, resumed, right. when they resumed the Pine Tar game in 1983. Yep. And then he also played at third base against uh, the Mariners in 1986. Wow. That's bizarre. I can't even imagine him at third base with a, with a mitt, but there you go. All right. I am at 4.4. My next card is a pitcher for the Bucks. We have not had a Brewer or an Expo in either of these packs. Uh, it is John Cangelosi. John Cangelosi, not to be confused with John Candelaria. Correct. This is the fielder. Let's see. John Cangelosi, 13 years in the big leagues. 14 with Pittsburgh, and then just about everywhere else you can name. In 1988, he was with the Bucks, appeared in 75 games, hit 254, no home runs, not a bad on base, and an OPS plus of 93, which equates to a war of positive 0.9 for me. Wow. Defense must be coming into play That's there. It. In 1988, September 15th, 1988, he became the first batter ever to face Randy Johnson. Wow. I wonder if, I wonder if Randy Johnson remembers that, like that, <laughs> that it was John Cangelosi. Well, you know, most of these guys remember that stuff, yeah. as we've found out by asking them. Yeah, it's just somebody, you know, John Cangelosi, which is kind of a deep cut, and then Randy Johnson having played for 612 seasons. I, I just wonder. Next, I've got a picture for the Twins, Keith Atherton. Oh, wow. I remember Keith Atherton, but I couldn't tell you much about him. Kind of one of those uh, interchangeable Twins relievers. Mm -hmm. <laughs> uh, let's see. Also, he came up with the A's, though. Spent four years in Oakland, three in Minnesota, and then one in Cleveland. In 1988 with Minnesota, he went 7-5 and five in 49 games out of the pen. Wow. 3.41 ERA, 74 innings pitched. Struck out 43, walked 22, and that's an ERA plus of 120, a war of 1.2. Andy's got some real stirrups on, so I'll take that. That's a positive 1.3. That's a good year for a reliever. A lot of decisions, but uh, somebody's got to be the vulture, I guess. Yep. All right, next we've got a guy that uh, had some good hair. Shortstop for the Phillies, Steve Jeltz. <laughs> when you're remembered for your hair. You probably didn't have a Hall of Fame career, but you were cool looking. Man, for him, you could, uh, it would be shining. He had that, is it Sun Glow? Was that from uh, Soul Glow? Oh, uh, Soul Glow. Yeah. <laughs> that was, I'm, there was a time when that was, uh, was the look, and he had it. All right, let's see. Steve Jeltz, eight years in the big league, seven with Philadelphia, which that's definitely where I think of him as. Uh, 1988, 148 games at shortstop for the Phillies. Every day out there. He wow. hit 187. Ouch. His on base was 295. Oy. And he had no home runs. Oh, boy. For a 55 OPS plus. And that equals a war of only minus 0.1. I think he got off easy there. I think I did, too. I think his, his defense is... Oh, wait, no, I'm sorry. That is a minus 1.0. That is Oh, not. well, not as easy as we thought. No. Ouch. Yeah. All right. Thanks a lot. Post-baseball life for Steve Jeltz, he went on to become a bail bondsman and bounty hunter. 
Oh, that's awesome. I didn't I didn't watch Dog the Bounty Hunter, but was was Steve Jeltz ever on that? I I, I never saw it either, but uh, it wouldn't surprise me. Can you imagine if you were like a, a Phillies fan and you were jumping bail? Guy grabs you and <laughs> he's handcuffing you and you go, hey, are you Steve Jeltz? Can I get an autograph? You know? I remember Steve Jeltz looked really good in those Philly powder blue uniforms. He wore a yeah. uniform really well. Oh, yeah. Sharp guy. Yeah. Steve Jeltz also holds the record for most games played at bats, runs, hits, doubles, triples, runs batted in, walks, and strikeouts among players born in France. <laughs> <laughs> All right. Next, I've got a pitcher for the Guardians, Greg Swindell. Oh, now you're talking. This is a. Uh... Another guy that I would call a, a workhorse. He was going to get you a lot of innings. Let's see. Greg Swindell, 17 years in the big leagues. Yeah, he pitched close to 200 innings during most of his prime when he was starting. Then he ended up in the bullpen at the end of his career. In 1988, he went 18 and 14 with a 3.2 ERA. That's a lot of decisions. Tell you what, and he, it, looking at this, he started 33 games. And he got 32, so he 32 decisions. <laughs> Man, that is a lot. 12 Two, complete games that year. Yeah, and four shutouts, 242 oh. innings pitched, only 234 hits. That's a good walk to strikeout percentage. 45 walks, 180 strikeouts, a 128 ERA plus. And that equals a war of 5.9. Oh. Wow. Cha-ching. That is, that more than doubles my score. That'll take wow. me up to 11.5 and gave me a little bit of a a jolt there. Let's see if I can take advantage of it. You know, it's, it's funny when we talk about pictures of the, you know, mid to late 80s and early 90s. I always forget about Swindell. He was a solid pitcher. Yeah, he was, uh, I only remember him actually in Cleveland. He played in a lot of other places, but. He was with my Astros for a bit. Uh, I'm getting down to it here. I've I've only got three cards left. I'm at 11.5. You ended up with 23.8. I'm waiting for all my Hall of Famers like you had. But uh, Next, we've got a guy that I continue to ask why his nickname was not the Exaskin. It is Nick Asaski. Maybe because it's so hard to say the Exaxon. See, I can't even do it. Yeah, it's a nice idea, but um, pronunciation becomes a part of the issue. All right, let's see. Nick Sasky, eight years in the big leagues, six of it with Cincinnati. In 1988, he was pretty much their everyday first baseman. Ended up slashing 243, 327, 412. He had 15 home runs, 62 RBI. He stole seven bases. Got some speed, sneaky speed. And a 108 OPS plus, that equals a war of 1.1. And he does have some real stirrups on there, so that'll give me a 1.2. Another another positive number. All right. My second to last card is uh, somebody that uh, played for the Blue Jays for quite a while. It is none other than Manny Lee. Let's see. Manny Lee, 11 years in the big leagues, eight of it with Toronto. Finished up with the Rangers and the Cardinals. Uh, 1988. Let's see. Got into 116 games. Hit 291. He had two home runs, 38 RBI. Uh, not a whole lot going on there. 96 OPS plus, and that will equal a war of 1.8. I'll take it. Wow. Kind of played all around, kind of that utility guy. That'll take me up to 14.5. I'm, I'm creeping closer. I just fear I'm running out of time. Yeah, it's uh, getting down to the nitty gritty, pal. All right. Well, this is it. My final card. It is a crafty lefty for the Astros, Bob Nepper. 
Bob never was the definition of a crafty lefty. I mean, I mean just nothing lo- but breaking balls, man. Just looking at this picture, it, he, is, <laughs> he looks like uh, he looks like the guy, the uh, the old uh, crafty lefty in Major League. <laughs> there you go. Wow. All right. Well, you know, we say crafty lefty, but in 1988, for this 15-year veteran, uh, just coming off an awful year in 87 when he led the league in losses with an 8-17 record, he turns it around to be an all-star. He goes 14-5 and five with a 3.14 ERA and a 106 OPS+. Plus. Come on, Bob. Come on, Bobby. All of this equates to a war of 2.2. I'm bad. That, well, it's not bad, but come on. Should be better. He had than some that. good seasons. He was a pretty Yeah, decent. he did. Uh, let's see. Let's get the scoring out of the way first. 2.2. He's got real stirrups. That's 2.3, and he was an all star. So that'll be a positive 2.8. But that still falls short of your 23.7. I end up with a 17.3. Another, another loss. Ugh. <sighs> That's tough. All right. Well, that's going to wrap up this uh, edition of Wax Packs Heroes. Again, Mark now out, way out in front, 16 to 9. Let's start to wrap up the show here. If you cannot get enough of us, as I know none of you can, uh, we can be found 24-7 on the Internet, all the social media. We are at 2StrikeNoise, at TWO Strike Noise, Twitter, Instagram, Twitch, YouTube, all those you can find us. Mark, People have also been uh, lighting up our old school email box. You want to tell them about that? Sure. You can write to Jeff and I at two strike noise at gmail.com. Spell it out. Not the number T W O strike noise at gmail.com. All right. That's going to do it. Uh, Let's wrap up the show and uh, we will be back again. Mark, what they tell me is next week and uh, hope we'll see everybody here on the next episode of two strike noise. Thank you. God bless you. Have a great day. Well, Mr. Burns had done it. The power plant had won it. With Roger Clemens clucking all the while. Mike Sosha's tragic illness made us smile. While Wade Boggs lay unconscious on the barroom tile. We're talking softball from Maine to San Diego. Talking softball, Manningly and Conseco. Ken Griffey's grotesquely swollen jaw. Steve Sachs and his running with the law. We're talking Homer, Ozzy and the Straw. We're talking softball from Maine to San Diego. Talking softball, Mattingly and Conseco. Ken Griffey's grotesquely swollen jaw. Steve Sachs and his running with the law. We're talking Homer, Ozzy and the Strong.